0: we protect us queer and trans folks we are ingenious and we take care of one another and no one will do it quite as well no one will do it for us and no one will do it quite as well
1: to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to de-armoring. I am one of your hosts, Sarah, and I am joined by my Discerning co-host Robin, you're giving me a very discerning look oh, right now. Sorry, it's by accident. Deep in
2: thought. Oh. <laughs> I guess so. I think I. You know how I am um, I, 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 zone in and out. I zone in and out. I must have been out uh-huh. for a moment there. But yes, <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited that we're. I mean, I know we've already started the season, but it's just nice to be back. It's nice to be having these conversations with you and all of these other fun queer sexual sexual I'm trying to say sex sexual intellectuals at the same time sexual
1: intellectuals I like it I like (laughs) it yeah Uh, what's giving you a fuck Yari? right now Robin okay so
2: I am right now in the process of falling deep in love with the color pink (laughs) (laughs) and it is a revolution for me I'm having a lot of psychological emotional revolutions in my life right now one day max about a year ago was like hey there's this pink trailer it's not very expensive i think we should go get it and we and he was like but it's pink and i was like well uh you know you know i don't like pink but whatever we saw it it was so cute i loved the pink elements it has a pink fridge and sink and it's pink on the outside and all this stuff so we got it, and I wasn't going to do that much with it. But then, once I decided it was going to be the vagina tarot trailer, podcasting trailer. It changed everything, and I started just really delving into pink, and I was like, I want everything. I want this to be monochrome pink. And I'm so obsessed with it, and now I'm sinking into this color. Like I painted this wall that I'm looking at right now in the trailer pink. It's a hot pink, but it changes with the lighting. It has so many different moods and expressions. It's so vibrant, yet velvety and deep. And it has made me realize that my dislike for pink has entirely been a patriarchal bullshit thing in my head. My dislike for pink has been like a lot of the things that I've done with my aesthetic to harden myself. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to look hard, partly because I think it looks super cool and badass. (laughs) But also I'm realizing as a way to defend myself against uh, so many things. To armor yourself? To armor myself. (laughs) I realized that I've been armoring myself since I was little with boyish things, just anti-girl things, anti-feminine things my whole life because I was explicitly told that feminine things suck by my family. I was explicitly told that feminine things have no power by my culture. And And it's just been so part of my aesthetic to wear almost entirely black or gray and absolutely no pink. That's all changing. I'm just like, I can see how harmful that was to just decide that a color is not acceptable. I saw someone on TikTok a while ago where this woman was like, oh, you don't like the color pink? Grow up. And that was the entire TikTok. And it was the first time where I was like, oh, Oh, shit. I'm doing some misogynistic bullshit. This is internalized misogyny that I'm trying to shed off. And it's fun. Pink's an amazing color.
1: Yeah, I think we should rename this season Ode to Pink. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So anyway, I'm really
2: enjoying pink. It's an amazing color. Check it out, y'all. If you haven't heard about pink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just surround yourself in it. Go I'm literally going to surround full myself in tilt. it. tilt. I'm going to be
2: a little black dot in a sea of pink. Yeah, yeah, you're
1: you're you're knocking it out of the park. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) thank you, thank you. Today we have a guest who is joining us IRL which is very exciting. We interviewed this guest last season, Dr. Lucy Fielding. You could call her a fuck yeah all star. Yeah, yeah. She's been on more than once. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, from that, we have developed a bit of a friendship with Lucy, which is mm-hmm. such a nice, the word that's coming to me is consequence of doing this. But <laughs> that's not the right <laughs>
2: What a nice consequence. A
1: nice side effect, a nice uh, a What's benefit. A nice benefit. benefit. I'll just a say nice benefit, benefit mm-hmm. of doing this is getting to know some of our guests. And if you haven't listened to her episode last season, you absolutely should. We talked about erotic embodiments. Mm-hmm. She is an author, sexuality educator. She has her MA in counseling psychology. She wrote the book, Transsex Clinical Approaches to Transsexualities and Erotic Embodiments. And she happens to be in LA this week. So we get to see her
2: in person. Yes. And I got to attend her workshop at the Pleasure Chest, which was amazing. It was Transsex 101. She's also the person who taught us the term muffing. If you do not know what muffing is,
1: check out her episode from season one and you can learn all about it. It was such a great episode. And so I'm excited to kind of dive a little bit deeper and catch up with her today. Yeah, me too. Let's get into it.
2: Lucy, it's so great to have you back and in person. Welcome to LA. Thank you. It is so amazing to be back in conversation with y'all. Yeah, I saw your workshop the other night. I want to get into it later. Um, You did a workshop at the Pleasure Chest. That was so much fun to see you in person and talking about all of gender pleasure and everything. But let's warm you up, right? I love a good warm up. Okay. Um, What is your favorite thing to wear? It doesn't have to be clothing. What's your favorite thing to put on your body to wear right now? Latex.
1: Oh, oh really? Okay, you gotta sell me. Do okay. your elevator pitch. Okay, my elevator
0: pitch is I'd seen so many friends in like these incredible latex outfits. And I was like, you know, will this be okay? You know, what will this do to my curves? And so like I asked around and a dear friend said, no, you're gonna look fucking hot. Mm -hmm. So like I got this like latex mini dress. What color? Black.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Part of the selling was all of the service that needs to go into Mm -hmm. Uh it, uh into the dressing of it. So like you know, somebody's got to lube you up Mm -hmm. and then somebody's got to shine you, and then somebody's got to shine you. At multiple times during an event that you're wearing it, Mm -hmm. a latex kink was born. Yeah. Okay. So it's the whole experience of it. Yeah. 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 Plus it's a self-pleasure practice as well, because then like I take it off or peel it off, I (laughs) should say. More Um, accurate. Then I get to like wash it and tend to it and then gently fold it and put lube or talc on it and so like it's a whole thing I love ritual and I love all of that Mm, I love when there can be that that moment of just like it's it's a whole sensory sensual experience it really
2: is and I think that's the key the good parts of latex because there's downsides oh yeah it's almost a bondage experience it gives you that rope hug feeling because it's so binding, but then it's the lubing that really does it for me because your skin is so, so smooth Mm -hmm. and they just glide over it. Like, I'd love to get a massage in latex. I don't know. It's very sensual. So getting lubed up and then in public getting lubed up, that's the best part for me as well. Yeah. It's a sensual experience. But the other side is the latex basically takes on the temperature of the room you're in. So if it is cold, you're cold. If it's hot, you're hot. And you immediately get a layer of sweat. It's like a wetsuit in a way. (laughs) You get a layer of liquid between you and the suit, which has its own sensual thing when you're playing. But then after a while, when you kind of move in the the skin moves slightly separate and you're kind of cold, but hot
1: and clammy at the same time. You're like, get me out of this club. (laughs) Yeah, 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 no, I run so hot. So latex is just always so hot and I am so basic. I don't like caring for things. (laughs) Like I have too many creatures to care for. So I just moved and took my favorite latex dress out of the box and was trying it on just to see, like, oh, does it still fit? It just ripped in half. Mm, like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, That's I, did, I didn't care for you properly, yep, yep. and now I just ruined you, and so, yeah, I can't.
2: I had all this latex from the 2000s, the first decade of the 2000s, and I had properly stored it and everything, but then I left it there for about 10 years, and I went through it recently, and it was... Like a cracker. It was like. like,
1: Yeah, yeah. No, you have to, you have to keep, you have to keep caring for it, which I love that you love that process. That's a true latex fetishist. You got to follow through.
2: Well, it's the same thing
0: with leather for me.
1: I'm remembering that from the last time we talked, I think.
0: Yeah. It's so important to have that I think especially during the pandemic having those like self pleasure practices mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like I'm touching something. So I'm a very touch oriented person and a tactile person mm-hmm. and very sensual. And so like the last three years have been so challenging in <laughs> that way. Yeah. You yeah. You know, it's like sometimes I even realized, like, oh, I haven't been touched like that this year. Mm. Mm -hmm. I had that experience this morning, Mm -hmm. you know, where I was like, oh, no one's touched me like that Mm -hmm. in a year.
1: Wow.
2: Mm -hmm. It's powerful. It's powerful. Okay, so who is your current celebrity crush? Okay,
0: so I gave a Star Trek past celebrity crush, so I might as well do a current one. I was at the trans takeover WGA strike I saw Ina Alexander. They play a small but incredible role on Star Trek Discovery. I saw them and I got to fangirl a little bit. I was just like so excited by that. And
2: And are they non-binary?
0: They're non-binary.
2: They must still love getting fangirled by you
0: oh it was a wonderful opportunity i mean discovery is one of those shows that like has really leaned hard into the queerness Mm -hmm. and to having trans and non-binary
2: characters that's really great yeah
1: oh you're getting a real la experience i feel like yeah i know for for folks who are listening we don't record all together in the trailer very often and we are all here sitting around the very cute table in the pink uh vulva train. Yeah. And it's really nice. And Lucy is here with us in Los Angeles.
0: (sighs) How dreamy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's been amazing how virtual everything has become. And like, I think of it as being really productive and efficient. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, what are the reasons that then you come together? And for me, I'm starting to Really kind of analyze like, oh, what do I value about the in-person like energy exchange and, you know, in both in doing work and in socializing. There's so much that we get out of being in person that's really lost.
2: Yeah. For me, 100 percent. I mean, the energy is really different. yeah. Yeah. There's an excitement, a pleasure to be in person. What I was meaning by the nice LA experience is like, you taught at the pleasure chest, that's a great place to hit. Iconic. You, iconic, you got to um, go to a WGA picket line, and now you're in the Volva podcasting trailer. Yeah. Yes. And then we're going to go to cruise tomorrow. Oh yeah, oh, nice.
0: in, in hopefully a latex catsuit. I'm trying to um, decide between yes. a catsuit and I have a new latex corset and latex mm-hmm. corset skirt and I'm trying to decide between the catsuit and the corseting.
2: Some latex fetishists would wear all of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying I'm
2: not hardcore oh, enough yet? Oh, yeah,
1: no. Yeah. I'm just saying some people. What has been your favorite LA experience?
2: Yesterday
0: I had this incredible day of collaborating with a colleague, and I'm excited to see what comes out of that and hopefully some some writing. Mm-hmm. Met up with someone I'm new to dating and That is probably the highlight because it's just been so dreamy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new relationship energy you're in it right now.
0: Oh, yeah. So, so much yes, yes. Nice. Yes. I do want to go back to something you said, Sarah. You were talking about the joys of Mm in-person. When we think of collective trauma events, Mm. like... The pandemic is and has been. The way to move through it is movement and connection. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Teaching in person is just such a joy because like I get to like step out of being a talking head Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or like talking to air that's been the worst like I gave a plenary last year for a conference I was talking to air when I teach I definitely go into top space oh
1: yeah oh yeah yeah. it's such an embodied experience for me teaching in person completely present channeling feeding off the energy like I am so hungry to teach in person Mm -hmm. 100%. Hundred percent. I
2: feel like a comedian often when I teach. Yes, I live for the laughs of it, and I really, I mean, I and I feel like you learn better when you're laughing and having a good yes, time. yes, yes. You know, yeah.
0: being in that room and looking out at you, mm-hmm. at Triss and Taramino, uh-huh. at folks that I admire, colleagues that I just think aren't incredible and you know you're right there it feels like it just feels extra yummy to Mm -hmm. be able to be up there teaching for and with people you admire yeah Yeah.
2: and then and the newbies that were there too was so great of like oh people are really learning the class I think the crux of it is be creative it's your own world you have the right to call yourself and to touch yourself and you know, be touched by others, however you want, Mm -hmm. and that we don't have to stick to all of these ridiculous rules that we've been given. Um, And and to really embark on the creative, ingenious, pleasurable process of being a person and a gender and having a sexuality, the crux of it is giving permission for people to be themselves and find their own pleasure in that. Yeah. yeah. And I love that that's transsex 101. And then maybe later we'll get into like some other like techniques or whatever. Oh, I wanted to ask you guys how you're feeling about technique based workshops, because that used to be all I taught. And now I feel like it's so about like, who are you? Mm -hmm. Who are you with? What do you desire at this moment, not even like in general, you know, and it's like negotiate, I'm so deep in love with negotiation right now. Mm -hmm. And just embodiment and finding your own yum and all of that stuff. I don't know if it's that I'm going on a growth spurt with what I want to teach, or if we're moving away in general from techniques and getting more into who you are, dynamics, di- your essence and dynamics.
0: I think that there's a place for technique. Mm-hmm. However, I think it, it just needs to be really contextualized yeah. within the idea that just doing a particular technique... Really, or engaging in a particular activity doesn't really matter. Right. That's not the point. Yeah. The point is, it's an energy that you're co creating mm-hmm. with somebody or with parts of your own body if in a solo sex context. Yeah. It's about saying, like, I teach. Muffin classes now And i they're one of my Favorite classes to teach And it's a technique class But ultimately What we spend the most time on In that class Is warm up mm-hmm. And trying to figure out How do you want to feel when you're being muffed? Mm -hmm. Or like, how do you want to feel when you're muffing someone?
2: That's really important. You mentioned that in your class when you were talking about negotiation. Yeah. It's not just what do you want to do? What are you in the mood for? But how do you want this experience to make you feel? Yeah. I want to add that to my teaching around negotiation is like... we we don't talk about necessarily like the outcome we're looking for.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's what dear friend and and colleague Princess Callie talks about as the kernel kink of something. She describes it as the goal feeling Mm -hmm. of an experience. Mm -hmm. And I just I love that. Mm -hmm. I I love really thinking about like, how do you want to feel? Like, what emotional beats do you want to hit? Or like thinking about if somebody says, oh, I would like for you to spank me. Mm -hmm. That doesn't give me much information information other than i'm the one spanking so i'm doing impact topping i'm spanking them they're in an impact bottom and spanking is involved other than that it doesn't tell me how am i supposed to
2: it's like saying i live in los angeles yeah it's like wow okay great Hmm. what does that mean
0: yeah
1: like where where yeah
0: each neighborhood it's its own experience yeah
1: yeah yeah and for some people something like Spanking or impact play in general is going to be about the physicality, like how it feels, how it sounds, Mm -hmm. and, you know, what kind of intensity they want. But for others, it's really about the power dynamic Mm -hmm. and perhaps there's something like deeply rooted in their sexual script Mm -hmm. that created some you know sexual imagination and fantasy around it where it's actually nothing about the sensation of it and it's all about like being bent over mommy's lap or something
0: exactly and like do I want to feel strong and big? Do I want to feel small and tended to? Or do I want to feel broken down? There's all these kinds of ways. Like, name anything, name any role. You mentioned mommy. I mean, there's all sorts of bad mommies. There's all sorts of good mommies. Mm -hmm. I describe myself sometimes as a kinky Mary Poppins. And that's the energy that I'm trying to embody. And like, Muffing, for example, even just the warm-up of muffing, you can do it from this place of, I'm trying to do something really gentle and soft, and it's like, Taking place in the context of like genital massage. Mm-hmm. That can feel containing in its own way. And then what if you put muffing in a CBT context? Mm-hmm. Um, cock and ball torture. The only kind of CBT I like to practice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh that's a completely different energy. And like if you're muffing in the context of that, then like Wow.
2: Yeah. I do just want to mention to the listeners that if you're wondering what muffing is, please go and listen to Lucy's episode from last season. You'll have to wait till the end. Yeah. But yeah. we explain. Well, yeah. Lucy explains what muffing <laughs> is. And now I feel like an expert. Like when you brought it up at the Trans Sex, I was like, I already know what you're talking about. <laughs> I feel like I am an insider on this info.
1: Okay. I want to go back. We're going to jump all around. Oh, Because we were talking about in person experiences and trauma healing. And I feel like one of the other things that's happened in the last three years, there's just been such an onslaught of kind of a constant barrage of trauma. And so it's almost hard to get really even specific about it because there continues to be so much going on that's really hard to navigate yeah and in the time since we last had you on the podcast and talked and now there's this juxtaposition of the world is opening up and it is a bit more safe to be out in public but there's also just, So much discord in the country and attacks on trans people, on queer youth, Mm. on bodily autonomy and abortion access and all of this sort of stuff. We're really... Taking some time kind of at the beginning of this season to try to just process all of it because it's like, I know for myself, I took a period of time of not listening to the news at all and just trying to disconnect Mm -hmm. because it was just all too much so I go back and forth between that like this is too much I need to just like focus in in this myopic way on my day-to-day life and then you know trying to broaden my lens and look at what's happening and like okay how can I have impact what can I do like when I feel helpless it's really disempowering so for me it can be self-carry to look at like okay what is within my sphere of influence making a call to a certain elected official is it about volunteering time like what is actually a physical action I can take that can do some good what are you doing in this time to take care of yourself and navigate this world that we are in
0: oh boy howdy it's it's been uh couple of months it's been a couple of years i mean i would say like desensitization really started in 2016
1: mm-hmm. you know? yes.
0: and and i think even further
1: prop eight it, you prop know. eight you know
0: any of the loading
1: right yeah all of it yeah i yeah, think yeah, you're, yeah.
0: you're right in characterizing and it feels like one collective trauma event after another and you know as a therapist holding space for and with people, I'm having to be responsive Mm -hmm. to events that I myself am affected by and living Mm -hmm. at the same time, whether that's a pandemic or it's the many varieties of anti-trans legislation, anti-queer legislation. I think, you know, one of the things is, and it was something I was picking up in what you were saying, Sarah, is one is offering yourself... Compassion
1: mm-hmm. mm.
0: and grace and gentleness. We cannot be on all the time, as Emily Nagoski and and Amelia Nagoski and the NAP Ministry would remind us over and over and over again. Especially the NAP Ministry, dominant groups, oppressive structures want us to be exhausted.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: They want to cut off our capacity to dream. When we are cut off from dreaming our body politic begins to break down. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, where I want to offer a lot of compassion and a lot of gentleness, because none of us are okay. Mm
1: -hmm. Like, how could we be? Mm -hmm.
0: So some things that I remember. One is that moral panics, like the ones that we're in, are not new. Mm -hmm. We've been having them in one way, shape, or form, for as long, you know, as recorded history, you know, in a sense, but especially in Europe, United States, Canada, and this idea of identifying a group and saying they are the problem, Mm -hmm. they are what's wrong with this country, this time. Gail Rubin, who uh, is a wonderful cultural historian, also an amazing figure within Leatherdyke community. She wrote this piece in 1984. It was actually delivered as a lecture in 1982 at the Barnard Sex Conference. Mm. So kind of the flowering of sex-positive feminism. And in it, she talks about how moral panics function. Mm. The essay is called Thinking Sex. And it's often about turning it around like it's for the children. Right. We've got to protect the children. So one of the things that I remember is we've been here before, recently, Mm -hmm. we can never depend on governments, establishments, organizations to do the right thing, or to protect us. It's more that we protect us. I'm thinking of so many articles from like the late 80s and the, the 90s and the, the height of the HIV, AIDS pandemic At that time. Folks like Amber Hollabaugh and Douglas Krimp. Uh, Douglas Crimp wrote this great essay, How to be Promiscuous in an Epidemic. Hmm. And Amber Hollabaugh in this essay, it's from 1999. It's an essay about queer and trans folks, we are ingenious. Mm-hmm. And we take care of one another, and no one will do it quite as well. No one will do it for us, and no one will do it quite as well. Right. And I think that that's really important. And so, like, when I think about the interventions we can make, it's not about, like, certainly signing petitions and doing the really grassroots legislative work, and, and advocacy work is really, really, really important. I also think it's about material aid to folks affected, you know, through mutual aid, through the smaller organizations that are local, that are on the ground trying to do the crucial work of making sure that folks can find housing, pay bills, I think that that's really, really important to do. The other thing that I always do, I always come back to pleasure. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Recognizing that part of that gentleness that I talked about is knowing that there are going to be days. I mean, I teach pleasure and erotic embodiment for a living. This is what I do. (laughs) And... Damn, there are so many days I wake up and I'm just like, I am not in my body. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I can't be here. And that's okay. I can't be in shame or guilt around that. Mm-hmm. Whenever I can, if I can lean into pleasure and not just sexual pleasure, erotic pleasure, but anybody pleasure of connection or sensual pleasure or intellectual pleasures, tactile pleasures, that is is sustaining. It goes far beyond resilience. It goes to our thriving. Mm-hmm. It goes to our capacity to dream and to imagine futures.
1: Yeah my therapist uses a term that resonates with me she says let's get you resourced Mm. and for me it's worked better like for my brain than like Mm -hmm. self-care or resilience or nurture, any of those things, because I'm like, oh, it's almost like that can take a form in my mind. And sometimes me being resourced is legit about just knowing when I've got to shut it down Mm -hmm. or like not be super embodied. Because sometimes that embodied experience, that type of presence is overwhelming when there's so much to feel Mm -hmm. and process and experience. And so being resourced might mean, oh, I've been really overloaded or overstimulated. And so it's about just like crawling into bed or putting on the, you know, favorite Netflix show. The tools in that toolbox has really worked for me. But this idea of like expanding your definition of pleasure is also so important because I think some people think of it as having to be really epic. An orgasm, like orgasms have been blown up in our minds through media Mm -hmm. in this way where it's like, an orgasm is only real if it's like epic and you're Mm -hmm. screaming and you know, whatever. And so those two things, Like sexual pleasure equals this big explosive kind of mind-blowing thing. And that's what pleasure is. But really it's like taking a sip of water and just noticing that you are hydrating your body. Yeah. Is a pleasure. Like taking five minutes to step outside and feel warmth or cold or sun or wind on your skin like that can be a pleasurable experience that just gets you grounded into that moment. And that's all it has to be. Mm-hmm. Like it yeah. it can be so like tasting a strawberry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like <laughs> it can be so simple. And I think that we've I don't know, things are like bigger, better, stronger, more productive. Like capitalism has kind of inflated things in this way where mm-hmm. we've kind of lost some of the simple pleasures or like the power of the simple pleasures. Mm-hmm.
0: Just the yumminess factor. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. just like this is an every day, just like, oh,
2: I'm
0: kind of feeling this.
2: So there's something that you did in your Transsex 101 class. Was it de-armoring? De-armoring. De-armoring, not disarming. So de-armoring, I feel like it factors into this conversation in the way like it's hard to imagine being attacked from so many different angles and not wanting to armor yourself. And in fact, you know, outwardly, publicly or whatever, maybe we do armor ourselves. But I wonder if de-armoring is in its own like political resistance as well as being a self-care. Talk
1: me through this. I wasn't in the class, so I'm so curious. What is this? Do you want to do it with Sarah?
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I owe all of this learning to dear friends and colleagues in somatic sex education. And the the activity that I would do was taught to me by a dear friend, Katie Spataro, who's a, a sexological body worker and somatic sex educator. Dearmoring is what you were talking about a few minutes ago, Sarah, these moments where you just shut down, mm-hmm. and that's being resourced. It's about honoring that. That is the body trying to take care of you keep, you, keep you here and alive. And that is really important. When we go into like a freeze or a fight or a flea or a fawn, these are all life-saving things that our bodies do for us mm-hmm. oh granted sometimes the tripwire is a little too sensitive mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but even that's you know that's okay that's just where someone is in the day or in the moment and so first of all it's about honoring that process and not trying to force it like you know try to make fetch happen
1: mm-hmm. right. you know
0: it's about recognizing that armor is there for a reason mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is doing good work
1: yeah yeah.
0: And it's part of this process of building trust with a body, including our own bodies, mm-hmm. recognizing, first of all, that that's just what bodies do. And thank goodness that they do. I think it's about the move that happens when we wait,
1: mm.
0: when we pause, when we ally and accomplish ourselves with those processes.
1: Mm because Mm, ally yourself with your natural kind of response interesting okay yeah
0: and so like instead of saying like i shouldn't be like this Mm. i shouldn't be in this heightened state or in the case of a partnered erotic experience oh i shouldn't feel like this that's a should Mm -hmm. that's something i always want to disrupt it's not about where you should be you are where you are and that's okay sometimes it's about let's just try something else Or like, let's ease up a little bit, you know, maybe try again in a few minutes. It's about that allyship of saying like, I recognize that your body is doing something really lovely and protective, and I'm going to align myself with that. Some really cool things happen when you wait, Mm -hmm. when you do the warm up, when you do the listening to the body. Often there's a softening that happens, and it's really cool to see for example, is anal play. Mm-hmm. The external sphincter is more under our control. The internal sphincter, it's unconscious. It's not really tied to our conscious control. Mm-hmm. You don't just like force that sphincter open because it's doing its job. What you do is you warm up. Yeah. You use a lot of lube. You wait. You listen. You ease in. You don't just like start
2: jackhammering. <laughs> somebody you know that's what i used to teach anal classes i would say the ass is the window to the soul yeah it's because it's like your true feelings will be heard when you're doing ass play you can't get around them
0: yeah you have to be patient mm-hmm. when that patience is there then on its own time that sphincter will often relax mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, it's not about using numbing creams or things like that. I counsel against them because I don't want somebody overriding that.
2: It's there for a reason. It's there for a
0: reason. Mm -hmm. So like, why not just wait?
2: And that's another level of making friends with your body's safety measures. In a partner context,
0: when we do that, that is a huge signal. You are attentive. You are listening. You are tracking my no. You mm-hmm. were tracking my yes. Mm-hmm. You were in tune with me. We are connected. And that's really special.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Did you want me to do the activity, actually? Yeah, I think it would nice. yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, let's do it. So it's two rounds, and it's a couple of seconds each. The first round, it can be really tough. It's really tough to be a participant in it. It can be tough to watch. I just want to foreground that. The second round, Really nice. Okay. You're going to like me a lot better in the second round. Okay. Okay. What it involves, the first round, is a difference between forcing and allying. So what I would invite you to do, Mm -hmm. if you feel comfortable doing so, is hold out one of your hands. And in the kind of like divot in your palm, imagine placing there something that is deeply precious to you. Something you care about, something you want to tend to, something that you value very highly and you care about. And what I'd invite you to do is to then, once you have placed it there, make a fist and close fist around that thing. That is you fiercely protecting that thing that you cherish. In this first round, it's only going to last a couple of seconds. May I touch hand, I'm going to try in this moment to get your fist open because I want that thing that's in the middle. Okay.
2: Okay. Mm -hmm. There are two sets of very lovely nails in combat (laughs) at this moment, trying to get the fist open. So Mm. it's not budging. Yeah. How did that feel? What did you notice?
1: Well, my very long nails are really cutting into my palm. <laughs> I mean, the thing I chose, this is like a very interesting exercise to do, particularly because I chose my daughter. Mm-hmm. And so like instantly when you said to like close a tight fist around it, I was like, oh, good. Because this is like the the push and the pull that happens with her and I. Mm-hmm. The harder I try to control or... Protect, guide, those sorts of things in a way that is that kind of tight, closed fist, Mm -hmm. she pushes against it. So as you're trying to get my fist open, it has this feeling of like when you're like in a standoff, Mm -hmm. you're like, ah, fuck. Like I can't give up now, mm-hmm. but I chose the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. Like this is not the way. There's another way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where you're like, I might win this. I'm pretty sure that I can keep my fist closed. Good, but at what cost? Mm.
0: Well, and you're experiencing the pain of the yeah. nails digging. How did you feel about me when I was doing that?
1: Oh. Mm. I did have that feeling of like, I know I'm going (laughs) to win. So in that way, it's like, it's this oppositional stance Mm -hmm. of like, we are working at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. So there's like both the victory and the disappointment kind of baked into that Mm. relationship Mm. that we're in now. Because it's just like, well, I don't... Why am I even... Why are we in this battle? But, like, I'm gonna fucking win.
0: Yeah. If I can share what I noticed, I felt you tighten. I felt that, like, I am going to win. What the fuck are you doing trying to get at this precious thing? Yeah. So, the second round. Mm -hmm. Again.
1: Same thing. Same thing. Ruby's going in there. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Close your fist. And this time... I'm going to, if you allow me to touch your hand again, to move my hands around
1: your fist.
2: Okay. Lucy's got her hand below and above cupping Sarah's fist.
1: So nice.
2: Kind of like a hand hug.
1: Yeah. A lot of eye gazing going on. Here. <laughs> Robin's commentary. Sorry, I guess I got to so let the good. folks know at home yeah. what's going on. Yeah. yeah. So what That's what nice. happened there? What did you notice? Well, it's like you're coming in to also help me protect this mm. thing. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to grip as hard. Mm-hmm. It's that like mutual aid, that support that you were talking about earlier. Like actually in physical form of like, okay, I can like release a little bit because the village is here Mm -hmm. to like help me with this job yeah yeah
0: so i am with you i'm aligning myself with you and Mm -hmm. and i noticed Mm -hmm. if in the first round you tightened that fist in the second round i felt like especially at the end your fist wanted to loosen a little bit yeah there wasn't a fight i didn't have to clench
1: so it was my hand wasn't even like slightly open. Yeah, mm-hmm. when your hands came off of it.
2: And it's a simple exercise, but it's like even just watching, like I'm emotionally affected.
1: Is there a way to do this for yourself where like one hand, yeah, comes and creates kind of like the soothing around the other hand. Right.
0: I can do both rounds just myself.
1: Mm -hmm. Like let yourself feel the tension, acknowledge it. Yeah. The instinct is there. I get it. I see you. I'm honoring it. I'm going to let you like bear down Mm -hmm. and then go and do the second.
0: And how often do we do that in erotic experiences? Mm-hmm.
2: I was just thinking of that as like the tension and release is uh-huh. so much a part of our lives, including the erotic experience.
0: I mean, how many times do we endure an experience? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. of, yeah, this isn't working for me right now. There are so many times where it's like I'm playing with someone and something that may have been like a hell yes, mm-hmm. fuck yes during negotiation. Mm-hmm. Get in there and suddenly it's like, oh, this is a fuck no. Mm -hmm. It's that aligning yourself and saying, like, okay, let's just try something else. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Like, this just isn't working right now. This isn't our thing. Uh, An act like fingering, for example. Okay, well, we tried three fingers. There's a twinge. Instead of trying to just like keep going and hoping that it will feel better because it won't, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert. (laughs) Well, what if I remove one of the fingers? What if I remove the fingers entirely? What if I, you know, just like do another kind of touch?
2: How do you feel about that that would translate towards what's going on in the political environment for queer folks, trans folks at home that are feeling really attacked in these moments, feeling like armoring is the only thing we can do? Oh, yeah. Uh, How can we use this kind of softening in that context?
0: I think sometimes you don't.
2: Mm, yeah. I guess in community
0: yeah, you do, but... When I go into so many experiences, I'm going in armored. Mm-hmm. And I have good reason to do that.
2: Mm, yeah. I've
0: seen some shit. I think so much of it is relational. And it's about, like, am I in a space? Am I in an experience where somebody is bringing an energy and intention to the experience, to my body, to the room that tells me okay you don't have to hold it as Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. i remember a client they'd been on hormones for six months and i checked in with them and i how are you doing and the client said something so beautiful never forgotten it i feel nothing (laughs) and it wasn't like a lack it was i am just not devoting energy to moving around the world in as much of an armored way
1: what a relief yeah, yeah what
0: a relief it's those moments where you get to go off red alert and transfer some more of the shield power back to life support mm-hmm. back to the holodeck <laughs> or whatever
1: always bringing it rack round to, star, to star, Trek. star Trek,
0: yeah i, I will <laughs> always do that
1: i like this idea of like really noticing when there is opportunity to soften mm, yeah. mm-hmm. so that it can be this thing that sort of recharges refuels contributes to the re- your resilience of like oh in this moment right now i can dearmor mm-hmm. yeah
0: we sometimes teach how to receive a no mm-hmm. respond with thank you for honoring yourself.
2: Oh, that's so smart. We never talk about how to receive a no. We're always talking about how to give a no. Yeah. That's great.
0: So it's this moment of like, thank you for honoring that. Mm -hmm. And then when you receive that, that is a dearmoring process. Yeah,
2: that's being held. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that.
0: It's the possibility for dearmoring because, oh, I don't have somebody wanting to ask me like why or like have me... Like, justify?
2: Yeah. No is a complete sentence.
0: When I'm playing with somebody, what I'm looking for is, I want you to tell me no. I want to hear some no's, peppered in with those yeses.
2: And ultimately, we're getting to actual authenticity. Yeah. That's what this is doing. And then holding space for other people's authenticity. Yeah. Which is a de-armoring process. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And the thing about de-armoring is, if I'm receiving the no and I'm thanking somebody... I am not the one de armoring. It is their body who is signing, like, yes, I can maybe possibly contemplate removing a little bit of armor.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I feel like, in a way, it's de armoring possibly for both parties. There's something like kind of brings down the shields for them as well. Mm. It's definitely one is holding more space for the other, but in the same way that helping others helps ourselves, that yeah. kind of thing. Like, I think that it, it really does help us all be more authentic and vulnerable. And I think you're right.
0: Hearing the no, it allows me to soften and to be like, oh, I can trust their yes now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, This has been so nice. It's been nice for me, too. It's so
0: fun being in conversation with you. And I never thought that I would be doing like a couple of exercises Mm -hmm. on on a podcast. But here we are.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's very helpful for everyone just to even hear that process. And I I think it'd be a good thing for people to be able to do it at home to just give it a try to see the difference.
0: If you were trying any of this stuff at home, go where the pleasure is and stop there. (laughs) <laughs> i really want folks to just give themselves a break mm-hmm. yeah offer gentleness it's not about a hundred percent of the time you're doing the thing it's about saying like you know look at that time that you did mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yes
0: and like how did that happen And how did that feel and like how can that happen again
1: Yeah, what do you have coming up, Lucy? What do you want people to know?
0: So I'm doing those muffing workshops and I'm just (laughs) adoring them. I have a couple of other trainings coming up. I'm really excited to start writing again.
1: Oh, Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that's going to look
0: like. I have some ideas.
2: Great.
1: Yeah, love it. Good luck. Good luck
2: softening and holding that space, girl. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. We'll see you again soon. See you.
1: Well, that was really nice to have Lucy here with us.
2: Yeah, it was so nice to have her here in person, to meet her. She was delightful, as I expected. We're going to go out to cruise later. And I'm just, it's amazing to make a friend through the podcast and also
1: someone who is such a professional in their field, mm-hmm. in the field. Yeah, I'm excited that she's starting to write again because she really yeah. is a incredibly accomplished poetic author who really knows her shit. So that's going to be great to find out what she works on next. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay, so there's a few things that I want to call out from this episode. I want to talk about the book that she mentioned by the Nagoski sisters. This is one of the authors of this book, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, is also the author of Come As You Are. Right which is like a just a seminal piece yeah. of work around the science of orgasms and desire. But burnout, the secret of unlocking the stress cycle, was the best thing I read during the pandemic. Wow. And it is really targeted to the lived experience of folks who are socialized female. Yeah. Not that it can't relate to other people, but it really spoke to me. And I now want to read it again. But I also really want you to read it. It sounds like something I need right now. (laughs) Yes, I just grabbed my copy and opened the page, which now I have to read to you because I am like, Oh, yes, it's it's refreshing the book for me. They lay out this idea of human giver syndrome, mm. which folks who are socialized female are are more susceptible right. to giving over to the cultural pressure to be human givers. Right. Emily Nagoski, Amelia Nagoski are really inclusive authors. And if you hear the term human giver syndrome and it hits somewhere mm. in your body, read it. They're building off of philosopher Kate Mann's language of human givers versus human beings. Ouch. Right? (laughs) Right? Yes. So this is from page 62 of their book, a cultural code in which human beings have a moral obligation to be their whole humanity, while human givers have a moral obligation to give their (sighs) whole humanity and give it cheerfully. Oh, Sarah, I'm going <laughs> to. Do you suffer from human giver syndrome? Symptoms okay. include believing you have a moral obligation. That is you owe it to your partner, your family, the world, or even to yourself to be pretty, happy, calm, generous, and attentive to the needs of others. Mm. Believing that any failure to be pretty, happy, calm, generous, and attentive makes you a failure mm. as a person. Believing Believing that your failure means you deserve punishment, even going so far as to beat yourself up. Hmm. And believing these are not symptoms, but normal Mm. and true ideas. Oh, fuck, Sarah. The last one is the crux, of course. What makes this metaphorical virus so successful as an infectious agent is that its symptoms are self-masking. It blinds you to its presence and is self-perpetuating. That is, we are surrounded by people who are also infected and they too treat themselves and everyone as if human giver syndrome were just normal human behavior, which reinforces our own sense that it's not a disease at all, but a healthy, normal way to live. If you were raised in a culture shaped by human giver syndrome, you were taught to prioritize being pretty, happy, (sighs) calm, generous, and attentive to the needs of others above everything else. Maybe, maybe you can pursue your own personal thing larger if you've thoroughly met the needs of everyone else. And don't stop being pretty and calm while you do it.
2: Ugh, Sarah, See, I'm like busting open right now as they're reading I, this.
1: Uh-huh. Okay, wait. So hold on. Okay, then okay. They they give some really fantastic quotes from Audre Lord, Malala, Shirley Chisholm, uh, Hillary Clinton. Each one of these women worked to be of service in ways that violated their roles as human givers. Mm -hmm. And If you do that, say by leaving someone else's needs unmet or not being pretty and calm Mm -hmm. while you do it or claiming power that rightfully belongs Mm. not to a human giver, but to a human being, the world smacks you down. They say, what's the matter with you? They say, Get back in line.
2: Oh fuck, Sarah! I'm explode. I'm need to jump out of my seat and run around in circles for a minute because I have so much energy about this. You're right. I need and- to. I need to read this as soon as we stop recording. I'm. Yeah, it is yeah. describing yes, my my experience to to a t- like this. Women are just naturally m- better caregivers. Women are just more nurturing. Um, it This is like the crux of me trying to explain to my partner what a sacrifice of staying home with kids actually is.
1: Well, and I think like when I think of your situation um, and what's interesting about this book is like it lays this context, right, of the human giver versus the human being. And then it breaks down the ways in which the stress cycle builds mm-hmm. for the human givers. And not that there's anything wrong with being a human no. being. It's just that everybody should be that, you know, right? right? right. Um, the, when I think about your situation, you cared for a parent through, you know, pretty stressful health situations. Yeah. And then you cared for and are caring for two small kids. And I think that that's like a pretty common experience that, I mean, granted, of course, there are stay at home right. dads who take on the brunt of the care, but it's a really common experience for women to do those two things simultaneously. Right. And when you think about your something larger, yeah, it's not, I don't, I think some people something larger is caring for, there are the rare birds out there, right? That that is actually really what they want to do. Right. Right. But that is, I don't believe to be your something larger. Yeah. And so it's almost like you work, like you put all this work in to care for others at the detriment and at the like direct um, violation of your own calling and your own needs and just the internal stress and strife that comes out of that is um, a lot to grapple with.
2: And what really has been hard for me is that as my kids have gotten older and school is back in session in person and my parents aren't with us anymore, as I'm trying to get my career going, I feel as though my career is in last place. So I, I that's part of what I'm what I'm trying to deal with right now is how I can reestablish myself and regain those lost years or just regain the years today to have the same importance in the family because that's what drives me crazy is that the caregiver ends up being, somehow the least important person in the family because everybody else's needs are coming before theirs.
1: I do think it becomes a thing where, you know, like squeaky wheel gets the oil, right, right? Caregiving requires of you that you are very reliable. Yeah. Your needs can easily become invisible because it's like, you know, especially if you do it with grace. Yeah. And you do it seamlessly and well, it's easy for others to, I mean, and of course, kids, like right. no one's expecting kids to get, right, right, right? But like our society is really shaped around this, that there is one person within the family unit. Sometimes I think this plays out in work environments mm-hmm, too, mm-hmm. where like one person or maybe a couple people kind of become the caretaker of everybody else's stuff mm-hmm. And typically you're going to see women in leadership roles doing that, where like there isn't that kind of pressure on on men to like meet any kind of emotional (laughs) needs of people in the workplace. But yeah, it just becomes like kind of a given. Yeah. People come to expect it rather than really honoring and appreciating like the labor that goes into it. So Lucy's call out of this book when we were talking to her really like sent a whole bunch of things pinging in my mind about this book and how this relates to the idea of dearmoring and the exercise that she did, which I'm not sure if it comes across through the audio, like the physical experience of the pulling and the tugging versus the like soft yeah. of the hand. I think a little bit of this stress that comes from the human giver syndrome as being that kind of like tight holding that gripping yeah, kind of keeping it all together. And that's where like the stress cycle for the human givers kind of comes in is that you're sort of in a position where like you kind of can't let the balls drop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, like there's this, like you really, really got to hold on to it all at least or, or I should say that's my experience. That's of my it.
2: experience too. I feel like you can't
1: take a break when you're in that position. This idea of how much you have to kind of hold it together. You're on like a hairline. Yeah. There's such a small margin for error. Yeah. Is, I think, what is really nice about somatic techniques, like what Lucy talked us through today with this idea of what is it like to. Have that feeling of support. Mm-hmm. Like when she put her hands around my hand, all of a sudden it was like I, I I didn't have to do it alone. Right. There was supportive touch. Vanessa Carlisle, I'll put her radio show in the show notes, but she did this weekly offering of somatic self care mm. online and gave a lot of different practices follow her on social media
2: get her on the show
1: yeah 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 we definitely need to get her um but like self hugs Mm. things that I felt so silly doing but like when you wrap your arms Mm -hmm. around yourself you get the same chemical release in the body as if someone else is embracing you and it can just take things down a notch Mm -hmm. my therapist gave me one which is called the butterfly hold. Mm -hmm. So if you take both of your thumbs, press them into your sternum at like whatever intensity, like for me, I press pretty hard. And then your hands, your fingers are coming out to the side around your chest and you just hold your chest and press into your sternum. You can like close your eyes. (sighs) There's like this release. For me that happens it's so like okay okay regulated again i'm not caught up in that pressure of whatever the moment yeah. is presenting me with so those were a couple <sighs> things i was thinking of after talking to lucy You can find us at Fuck yeah Pod on TikTok and Instagram, fyapod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you on social, on the email. Until next week. Fuck yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Fuck yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Sarah Tom Chesson, hashtag my mom, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot if you would write, review, subscribe, or share with a friend. You can get in touch by emailing us at fyapod at gmail.com or find us online at fuckyapod.com.